Welcome to the Beyond Physio Podcast, where we help you move, excel, and inspire others on your journey to your next level with knowledge and advice from experts and testimonials from our like-minded community. Welcome to the Beyond Physio Podcast. I'm Dr. Jerry Yu, CEO, founder of Next Level Physio. Today on our show, we have Dr. Subramanian, who is a friend and a physician. Actually, she is a pediatric cardiologist in New Jersey, in premise. And she is the CEO founder of Children's Center for Holistic Heart Health, also in Paramus. Welcome to our show, Dr. Subes. Thank you so much for having me, Jerry. Dr. Subes, I really want our listeners to hear your resume because it's pretty stacked. You have a lot of experience in not only general medicine, but also specialty in pediatric cardiology. You actually saved the life of a friend of mine many years ago, and she's eternally grateful for that. Thank you so much. Yes. I mean, th that's why we do what we do. My journey began as a high schooler. My mother's a pediatrician. My grandfather was a doctor, so it kind of runs in the blood. I went to medical school in India. Mm -hmm. I trained as a pediatrician there. Then I came to the U.S. I had to retrain in pediatrics. The heart has always fascinated me because I personally think it's better than the brain, although <laughs> some people would disagree. But I think it's a fascinating organ. In this day and age, we are able to help a lot kids with complex congenital heart disease, kids with missing chambers even, and they grow up to be adults. And I like to follow them through a con continuum of life. It's very rewarding. And 2019 or so, I decided to also specialize in obesity medicine. So right now, I'm a pediatric cardiologist and also an obesity specialist. That's amazing because I see such a link between those two disciplines. And obviously, there's an epidemic of obesity, not only in adults, but also in kids. And I think that because you are positioned as a physician, it really does allow for a powerful way for kids to be helped on so many different levels and to prevent some of these long-term issues that they may be facing if they don't manage these things earlier on. Can you tell us like why it's so important for pediatric obesity to be addressed earlier than later? Okay, so pediatric obesity is one of the growing epidemics in this country. Right now, about 40% of our children between the ages of 6 and 19 are either overweight or obese. Wow. If we keep going the way we are and don't address it, it's been projected by the American Academy of Pediatrics that by year 2050, 57% of our children will be obese. More than half. That's Yep, more incredible. than half, which is sobering. Hmm. And we know that problems like atherosclerosis starts very early. In fact, autopsy studies of infants who have died in accidents or other causes have shown fat deposits in the arteries as early right? as age one. Wow. It's incremental over time. So that's why I think it's really important to address it early and address it throughout somebody's lifetime. And the earlier we start, I think the better it is for the yeah. child and the family. That's for sure. It seems to me like my own general observation of people and culture that more and more kids are definitely becoming more void, like you said. So I feel like that statistic is definitely not off the mark by any means. However, do you feel like there are certain influences externally, whether it be social media, TV, or other kinds of media like this that might be contributing to this cause? There are, there are multiple factors. First of all, social media is a big one. You can't open Instagram or TikTok without seeing food. 
and food related advertising and our kids are being constantly bombarded with this onslaught of food related messaging it's in, in fact in some european countries it's it's illegal to advertise food related products to kids during children's programming but unfortunately we don't have that in this country i think cultural influences also matter because obesity the rates of obesity are higher in the hispanic population uh-huh. in african american population in native americans and alaskan natives interesting and i think food is a big part of culture a lot of the things we do you know celebrations funerals everything is associated with food so in cultures like indian culture or hispanic culture it's considered rude to refuse food when you Asian go to culture too, Asian yes. culture yes yes Absolutely. yes so, and it's considered rude to leave food on the plate yes so that's one of the things i ask you know ask mothers do you let them self regulate or do you make sure they clean off their plate because i'd rather that extra food end up in the trash than in the child's stomach when they're not hungry so i think all of those factors matter the environment matters the genetics matters the behavior most of all matters so it's a complex disease hmm. and it's actually considered a chronic disease if i'm not mistaken yes so finally the cdc has classified obesity as a chronic progressive lifelong disease just like diabetes or high blood pressure unfortunately insurance companies are still not on board for example let's say i bill the code for obesity in a patient they pay zero dollars really yes even so, though it's been a, a even though it's proof. a chronic yeah. disease so we always have to find other things like high cholesterol mm. or diabetes or even i could even say somebody has shortness of breath and they would pay me but if i mention the word obesity it it is somehow perceived as lack of self control mm. and you know it's something that's up to the person and they are eating too much and they're not exercising which is why they're obese so insurance companies don't really pay for treatment of obesity so it's almost as if you choose to be obese therefore we're not going to cover those services exactly. that's so interesting so then you have these kids who really do need medical attention because they've gone beyond that point and they're not able to get the kind of help they need medically um, unless it's paid out of pocket yeah. because insurance companies won't cover them. Yeah. Wow. Which is why I always try to find other problems invariably, you know, this child is short of breath when they're sure. running. Yeah. Invariably they're tired. So I could bill fatigue, I could bill shortness of breath and they would pay for it, but not if I say the o word. That's interesting. (laughs) So the other O word. So it's interesting to me that you've definitely pursued this other avenue and specialty. And I'm wondering, can you tell us about your personal journey? Because I really want our audience to know that Dr. Subes is not only a practitioner and a very well-educated expert in the field of pediatrics as far as cardiology and also obesity, but she herself has a very interesting story to share about her own journey towards becoming more fit. So Jerry, I was an obese child and I was an obese adult. We've known each other for more than 10 years. At my highest, I was about 250 pounds. It's incredible. I think my first diet was probably when I was in 5th grade. So I grew up in India where culturally it's not considered taboo to comment on other people's weight. So I would have really well-meaning neighbors ask me, "Where does your family buy rice?" or you'd have tr- you're going to have trouble getting married when you grow oh, up. Oh man, that's okay. devastating. I did a lot of things. 8th grade I think I stopped eating lunch hmm. thinking that would make me lose weight. 
during medical school, I went on a drastic diet and lost a lot of weight to a point where one of one of my professors made me go get checked for HIV because oh I was so God. skinny. Oh my goodness. And then I gained the weight back. Wow. I was finally sick and tired of all this yo-yoing and I decided I was going to take charge of my health. My wake-up call was when my physician, personal physician, found that I had high blood pressure and she wanted me to go on meds. So I said, give me six months. I will go on meds if I'm still hypertensive after six months. And I lost about, I started doing kickboxing. Mm. I'm a klutz. I'm very <laughs> unathletic. I used to hate gym class, but somehow I took to boxing. That has really helped me. And in addition to that, of course, portion control and behavioral changes. So it's really, I'm very passionate about what I do because I've been through all of those things that my patients have been through. And I've been through a lot of the medications that they're, they, you know, I prescribe. So when they tell me they're having a certain side effect, chances are that I've had it. I'm able to empathize with them because I've been through the journey myself. That's so powerful. And I wanted to share my story to you. For people out there who didn't know, I was also a chunky kid. And up to the point where at a very tall 5'7", I was 200 pounds and very heavy. And granted, I was also bulking for sport too at the time during high school. But being that heavy, being in the Korean American culture also lended to a lot of criticism. And I always got side comments about whatnot. And it really de definitely messed with my self-esteem for many years. And it wasn't until I went to college where I took charge of my health as well and wanted to make some changes that I was able to go on another journey to be able to become the person I am today. And that's part of what makes Next Level because it's about transformation through physical activity, exercise, physical therapy with people who are like-minded and in that community so that we can all go to our next level. And it sounds like you're really doing the same thing with your profession, which is amazing. Do you find that as far as other, the way that you intervene on with kids who have obesity, what's your approach like? We provide a holistic approach. When it comes to obesity management, there are four pillars, diet, physical activity, behavioral modification, and medications plus minus surgery. So like a building, you have to make sure all four pillars are taken care of. Otherwise the whole thing is going to collapse. And with our children, we start off slow. We try to see where their issues are because they, it's usually a multi-system issue. Many of them have liver damage. Many of them have sleep apnea. So we treat those underlying conditions. And then we start off with just the diet. They, do, they maintain a food journal for a couple of weeks. And once they're comfortable with that, then they move on to starting a gentle exercise program then slowly adding resistance training. And meanwhile, we do a lot of intensive behavioral therapy with respect to screen time, with respect to social media, with respect to self-esteem. And then finally, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually came out with the obesity cl clinical practice guidelines for the very first time in January of 2023. So now they are advocating for medications in kids as young as 8 to 11 years of age. And these medications, have, you know, some of them are approved for kids and they've been found safe in kids. I see. And is the goal, Dr. Subes, to maybe use a medical intervention to get these kids to a certain point, but then wean them off the medication so they can actually do the things that don't require it? 
Each patient is different. Now, every obesity medication that is approved now is approved for lifelong since mm -hmm. obesity is considered a chronic disease. If somebody reaches a normal BMI, it's because they are on the medicine. So I do give people an option. When they reach their goal weight or a healthy BMI, I give them option of, do you want to go off the medication? Let's see what happens. There is no downside to quitting cold turkey, mm -hmm. so to speak. And if they start gaining weight again, we can always put them back on the medication. But meanwhile, we also hope that during that journey, they've learned a better way to live, a better way to eat, a better way to move and be active and change their behaviors while also being on the medication as an adjunct. That's so interesting. I do want to go back to how they determine obesity in kids because my one issue with the way CDC characterizes obesity, it's by using the BMI, yeah. which we've known for many years is highly inaccurate. You can have a bodybuilder next to somebody who's mostly, we'll just say, mostly adipose, and they might have the same BMI, but that can be very misleading to somebody who's in really great shape because you would think that, well, if they're over 30, 30 or 36 on the BMI, that they should be overweight. But if you look at them, they're not. But it seems like physicians, that at least that I've met, still use the BMI as an indicator for whether this person is obese or not. Can you comment on that? That's a great point, Jerry. Like you said, people can be extremely muscular and still have a high BMI. For example, by BMI criteria, Vin Diesel hmm. and Dwayne The Rock Johnson are obese. <laughs> Tim Tebow and Donald Trump have the same BMI. Amazing. So it's it's important to actually look at the person. It seems like physicians don't have time to look at the person anymore. <laughs> I've used the BMI for lack of something better because the gold standard as far as obesity is concerned is a DEXA scan, which is very expensive and is not widely available. Next to that, we have the bioimpedance scanning, which we do in our office, which gives you the fat mass, fat-free mass, the muscle mass, and the total body water. But insurers do not cover that. So we are left with what is easily available in this day and age with most of us using electronic medical records. You just plug in the height and the weight and it automatically gives you a BMI. I think it's a good screening tool for pediatricians. You know, during a physical, they got to address the entire child. So it's hard for them to focus on just the weight. So I think it gives them a quick and dirty indication of, hey, should I be paying attention to this person's weight? But I think it's important to look past the BMI at other things like the waist circumference. We also look at the waist circumference because it, it indicates whether you are at higher cardiovascular risk or not. For sure, right. And that's a very quick and dirty test, yeah. like you said, which I like. It would be great if more physicians were trained in at least being able to use like the DEXA, for example, have in their offices. I know it's not cost effective initially, but if that is something that can be used as a way to more accurately help people to determine a thing to lose weight or lose body fat or do some of the exercise, I feel like those numbers for people will be very effective in saying, listen, you got, you know, 18%, 20%, 30% body fat. You really got to you know, make sure that you take care of this. Otherwise you have these lifelong issues ahead of you. Speaking, using a SECA is very easy. Oh. I hardly needed any training. I just bought the machine. All it takes is the patient stands on the machine with the, both the hands, the two hands and the two feet in contact with the electrodes. It sends a tiny electric current through your body that you don't even feel. 
the entire test takes 17 seconds. Really? Yes. So the patients are in and out in less than five minutes. And it generates a very detailed report on not just your muscle, fat, and body water, but also we can now analyze segmental muscle mass. For example, if somebody is doing bodybuilding or athletics, we know their muscle mass in their arms versus their legs versus their core. So we know where they're deficient and where they can improve. That's great. So then you can be really dial in for somebody, especially for bodybuilders. I know they're really conscious about their body fat because of competition. Yes. I can see the value in this in athletics too, especially for high school sports. I'm thinking about like wrestling, for example, where you do want to keep track of these kinds of things and metrics over time so you can determine you know, where you can lose weight if you're trying to make weight for wrestling. So I see that as a very powerful tool. It is. And I also think it's great for people who are not athlete, professional athletes or bodybuilders because weight is sometimes misleading. Yes. When people start an exercise program, they put on muscle and they gain weight and they feel very discouraged. So in, in all my weight loss patients, I do a monthly body composition and ana analysis and it's very gratifying for them to see an increase in their muscle mass, even if their weight hasn't budged a lot. Right. And also there's, I think we've talked about this in the past, where there's the pants test, yeah. where you can sort of see how your clothes fit. Yes. And you can get a really good idea of like how your comp is compared yes. to what it was before starting a program. Yes, absolutely. So th those are called non-scale victories in our jargon. I try to get kids to focus on, you know, how their clothes fit. And as you, you have two daughters, I have a daughter, we know how peer pressure, they want to wear certain types of clothes, yeah. shop at certain stores, and they're not able to do that when they're obese. One of their motivating factors is, oh, I want to wear that outfit. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to get them to a point where they can do that and use that as a motivational tool. Yeah, the motivation is really important, yeah. I feel like. Do you find that working with certain kids, for example, where they do have, where they are obese, that it is hard for them to picture themselves uh, at a lesser weight or in a different body? Yes, it's because many of the children I see are over 200 pounds, some over 250 pounds. Wow. So it's very hard. Their goal weight might be... 130 pounds, which is hard. It is really very daunting to think that, oh my God, I got to lose 120 pounds. So we only set small goals, first five pounds, right? Then 10 pounds. And when they get to 10 pounds, I ask them to go out and celebrate non-food rewards. Non-food yeah, non rewards. <laughs> I ask their parents to take them out shopping mm. for a favorite outfit when they change sizes. So they look forward to that. And I think that is very powerful. And they learn also that you don't have to reward yourself with food. One of the things you mentioned, which I loved you, how you said it was, and I want you to take us through your process, because if the kids don't have ownership over their desired goals, and it's something that was pushed by the parents, the likelihood of success is probably lower, right? Yes, absolutely. So one of the first things I do in our intake paperwork is ask why the child wants to lose weight and if the child wants to lose weight and if so, why now? And have they been, are they coming to me because their parents made them or their pediatrician made them? Because then there's less likelihood of them being successful. And sometimes we have to wait. We have to give them time to get to that point where they want to do it. I have, in fact, right now, I have a teenager who made an appointment to see me three weeks ago. 
And then the day before the appointment, the mother called and said, she's in shambles. She's crying. She doesn't want to do this. And, but then the child is also getting therapy. So I said, how about she talk to the therapist about if she really wants to do this? And if so, why? And what does she want to get out of it? And I'm happy to say the mother emailed me back two days ago, making an appointment because the child wants to. Wow. So I think it is always important for the child or the adult or whoever it is that wants to lose weight for their desire to come from within Mm. rather than being motivated by external factors. That's great. And so then once they get past intake, you start taking them through the processes you've described before. Yes. We always screen for all the other things. We do lab work, a standard set of labs that we do to rule out diabetes and high cholesterol and things like that. Because our choice of medication may depend on that. We also treat other things. If they have sleep apnea, we get a sleep study. And they need to be treated for that. For sure. Kids have, like I said, from head to toe, they can have problems. So sometimes we have to involve other specialists to treat those things. But I'm happy to say that as they lose weight, most of those problems go away. It's amazing. It's amazing to get people off their diabetic meds. Or get them off their high blood pressure meds because they no longer need them. That's so powerful. And it probably increases their compliance with the program now that they're seeing the results and taking off medications from their list of medications. Yes. The adults, yes. Getting off their medications is a powerful motivator. With children, they don't have those things. Getting into a certain outfit Mm -hmm. or getting into a prom dress (laughs) is a better motivator. Right. Now, in your observation with kids with obesity, do you find that in more than half the cases, that's often from the parents as well, that maybe they themselves are obese or sometimes is that independent? I Invariably, it's the parents are obese hmm. because obese children become obese adults and genetics has got a lot to do with it. And chances are that the health behaviors at home If one person, if the father and mother are eating a certain way, the child is probably eating the same way. And I I tell parents up front, this is going to be a family-based approach. You can't have potato chips in the house and you eat those chips, but tell your child, ha, no, you can't have it. Yeah, hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's very tough. And then do you find that because... You know, these kids have now been in your program that it actually changes the parents too. It does. So I have had parents initially bring their children. And then as they see their children change, they themselves have joined the program because initially they think I'm at a point I've tried like umpteen times and I still am obese. Nothing's going to help me. Then they see their children change. That itself becomes a big motivator for them to change themselves. Now, along the journey there, do you find that, and I'm sure that happens with everybody where, you know, they may kind of go into a slump and like, you know, not maybe not be as motivated or say, oh, like you said before, it's just going to be too much. Have there been one or two ways that you found to really get either parents, kids, adults, children more motivated or to just stay on track if they seem to be falling off a little bit? It's important to set expectations and also discuss the fact that around 12 weeks or so into a weight loss program, you plateau Mm. and that's expected. That's because of our body. What our body does when we lose weight is that there are two hormones that control hunger. One is the hunger hormone. Mm -hmm. The other one is the fullness hormone. So when we lose weight, our body still has this caveman mentality. I see. Like it doesn't know where the next meal is coming from. 
So when we lose weight, it goes into that caveman mode and starts making more of the hunger hormone hmm. and less of the fullness hormone. Uh, and that peaks around 12 weeks. So we tell them up front, we expect this so that they know it's not them. It's their body. There are ways to get past that slump. There are two things we do. One is resistance training can mm. help you get past a plateau. Amazing. Uh, intermittent fasting is another tool mm. that can help people get off the plateau. Well, studies have shown that it's not the timing of the food as much as the calorie deficit, but sure. for some reason, intermittent fasting or shortening the eating window mm -hmm. seems to help people get past the plateau. Oh, that's powerful. I know a lot of people who do benefit from intermittent fasting who are not obese yes. for other reasons, but it's interesting to know that something that is a tool that is also used in obesity management. Yes. Resistance training, of course, I think there are many benefits for that, not only management of body composition, but also for bone health and for tendon health and whatnot, and even hormone regulation. Are there other things that, as far as exercise, that you recommend to kids or even adults who are obese that have also been helpful? Yeah, I love the kettlebell. No, me too. I keep equipment in my office. Oh, you do? That's I great. do. I and, and I demonstrate. And you can actually get decks of cards with different exercises on them. Yeah. So one of the things I have my kids do to avoid boredom is to shuffle the cards and pick oh, three or four exercises yeah. to do that day. I like that. I like exercise dice. So two dice, one has the number of reps. The other one has the exercise. They roll the dice. Oh, and man. whatever comes up, they got to do that many reps of that exercise. That's so cool. It's, it's more of a game for them and it keeps them motivated. And it sounds like, Dr. Soups, that you also do this type of training in-house, which is crazy because I don't remember the last time, or I don't know of many physicians who actually work with their clients in that way that you do. I think I have an ulterior motive, Jerry, <laughs> Be because of my schedule, I'm not always able to get a workout in, like mm. meaning a 45 minute to an hour workout at a time. So what I do is I have a kettlebell, I have resistance bands, I have dumbbells, and I have a ball. So in between patients, I try to do 20 kettlebell swings. Wow, I or, love that. Or slam the ball like 20 <laughs> times. The people who are Balloon. one floor below yeah. in the building hate me, but <laughs> uh, too bad. They are physios too, so I hear their barbells all the time. Sure. So payback. <laughs> I try to squeeze, and so I tell people, don't get discouraged if you can't get 30 minutes or 60 minutes in. Just get off your tushy every hour and do something and those five minutes or three minutes even build up that's for sure you probably heard the term or phrase movement is medicine yes is that something that you also believe in absolutely i strongly encourage people to set timers on or alarms on their watches or whatever devices they have to have them get up and move every hour because sitting is one of the things that is making us fat. Yeah. Prolonged sitting is associated with increased cardiovascular mortality. Is that right? Yes. So that in and of itself, I've heard that sitting is a new killer. But it is a new killer. That's crazy. It's funny because in my experience working with kids, we had a conference about 20 years ago, I want to say, even back then talking about the couch potato kids versus the other extreme, which is the sports specialist. Yes. So the kids are doing way too much year round and the kids who are basically stuck on the couch in front of the computer on video games. Can you comment on that? I think we need to find a balance between the two. I don't think either 
end of the spectrum is good or healthy. So I think we need to strike a balance. For example, in schools, when a child fidgets or when a child can't stay still, that's frowned upon. But that's really? actually good for them. Yes. Fidgeting is good. It generates something called non-exercise associated thermogenesis or NEAT. Mm. And people who fidget or doodle even tend to weigh less. So I think maybe st- having the kids stand up when they've been sitting up for a prolonged period of time, maybe stretch. Those are all things that simple things that schools could implement. That's a great advice, actually. I felt the same way because I was definitely a fidgeter in school. And I can still remember the, the voices of my teachers saying, hey, can you sit still? I'm like, I really can't. Yeah. But, you know, it's really funny in schools. And I hate to mention this on the show, but my recollection of the healthcare uh, or the, uh, the nutrition person school was often obese. The gym teacher, the phys ed teacher, it was rare in my years of school that the person giving me advice about nutrition and what to eat, what not to eat was actually very overweight. Yeah. Have you seen that as well? Or? I have personal experience of that <laughs> uh, because when I was a pediatric cardiologist before I specialized in obesity medicine and before I embarked on my personal journey, I was seeing these kids for obesity, doing tests on them and counseling them. Uh, I, I knew that it wouldn't be too long before one of these kids turned to me and said, hey, how about you? <laughs> Oh, right. And the same thing happened when oh, my no. daughter was in elementary school. The school nurse would send letters every year saying, hey, your kid is overweight. Whereas she herself, her BMI was probably well over 35. Oh, my goodness. So wow. I think we need to practice what we pre- uh, preach. Yeah. How has your personal journey towards becoming this new version of yourself been influential on your kids? I'm very frank with them. Yeah. I tell them my journey. I think it builds trust. It makes me vulnerable, yes. But when I describe my journey, it kind of reassures them that I relate to what they're going through. Yeah. And I've been there and done that. So when they tell me their issues or whatever problems they're having, chances are that I have been through that. Sure. So it has helped me to be more empathetic. As a mom. Oh, that's yeah. great. And physician as physician, a mom. Yes. That's powerful. Dr. Subes, thank you so much for being on our show. I do want to share, I think you were thinking about helping our audience with some of their questions. And if anyone out there has a weight-related issue, if they are struggling themselves, how can they best contact you or get in touch with you? My best way to contact with me is by email. Our email is info as an information at childrensheartnj.com. And our website is www.transheartnj.com. They can go on there and they can email me uh, or they can call and I get back to them within 24 hours and uh, I get them in right away. There's no wait time of two or three months. I try to get in people within the week because when, you know, when they want to do it is that's the right time to get them to start. Yeah. So I try to make the process as smooth for them as possible. Great. And for all of our listeners, if you give Dr. Subes the code Next Level Physio, she will actually help you out with getting a free weight loss consultation and also a discounted body composition through the SECA body fat scan, which she described in our show. So for anyone out there, again, who might need some help or maybe knows somebody who could use some help, you have the resources available to you and you can check our show notes for those details. Thank you very much. And until next time, have a great day. Thank you very much, Jerry.
does mean a lot to us. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe, or comment if you got at least one or two helpful insights or takeaways to help you get to your next level.